Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What up, TCK Potters? I am your host, Sky Guasco, and this is episode 97 of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. Welcome to Tight End Week. Today I'm joined by special guest Summy of the Draft Room Podcast in New York City, New York. Summy and I discuss our top 15 tight end rankings in a two-part episode. This is part one with our tight ends 8 through 15. Please follow Summy and the Draft Room Podcast on Instagram at Draft Room Pod and Twitter at Draft Room Pod. Facebook and YouTube, you can find them at the Draft Room Podcast. You can also look up the Draft Room Podcast wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. There's a ton of value on this episode once again. Summy prides himself in the stat-based analysis we love here on the TCK Pod. So pace yourself, take some notes, and turn us on time and a half if you need to. Just a further heads up before we get going. This was originally one recording, but I decided to split it up into two episodes. So I apologize in advance for any sudden interruptions or glitches. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get into it. All right, TCK Potters, extremely excited today. We have Summy coming in all the way from New York. Very excited to have you on, brother. It's been a long time. We've been discussing this, and, and I've been looking forward to this episode for a while. We are bringing in tight end discussion today to wrap up our weekly discussions for positional breakdowns. We did quarterbacks, we did running backs, we did receivers, and now at the end of the month here, we are at tight ends. Summy, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity, uh, you know, to connect with your listeners and to obviously connect with you as well and uh, talk a little bit of football here. Well, I appreciate you coming on and and thank you so much. Why don't you give the listeners one more time a uh, I've already introduced you in the intro, but through your words, why don't you let them know where they can find you and let us know about the, the draft room podcast? Absolutely. Uh, so the Draft Room Pod, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Draft Room Pod. Uh, pretty simple. It's the same handle on both. And then if you're looking to listen to our podcast, it's Draft Room Podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I'm going to stop saying the word podcast now because it's getting a little bit much now. <laughs> but any any platform that you like, Spotify, whatever it is, go look us up if you're interested. Um, so the Draft Room Pod, I mean, really quickly, I just wanted to bring up, you know, what we focus on is more about predictive analytics, um, the the metrics that really correlate year over year. That's why you'll never hear us talking about yards per carry, um, because that's more descriptive than predictive. Um, and I like to kind of educate my audience as far as how to best, you know, teach themselves to find the right talent, to find the right opportunity, to, to find the right value in fantasy football and how to go about attacking it in a strategic way. So um, I'm really excited to, you know, talk through these tight ends today and, and you know, share my opinions and some of the metrics that I've lined up and uh, hear what you have to say as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you. And I've, I've listened to the podcast quite a few times, and I really appreciate your anal analytical approach. We had Josh on last week from the Fantasy Footballer UK all the way in Manchester, England, and he has a similar approach, which I just – I really appreciate, you know, and, and there's nothing – wrong with fantasy football people who enjoy doing this that have Absolutely opinions not. and thoughts and things and that's i mean honestly that's what we're doing at the end of the day i just think there's different ways to get to your opinion and your thought process and i personally am just kind of a stat nerd so i appreciate other and, people and listen uh, the, on, on the same on the same token i mean on the other side 
Um, one can also argue that stats and analytics isn't everything either. Uh, sometimes it is just a gut feeling and sometimes it is um, just going with what you feel is best. And I think sometimes that works out for the better as well. Um, I think sometimes we can tend to overanalyze certain situations where after it happens, it's like, oh, crap, we should have realized it beforehand. You know, we should have dove too much into the numbers. So uh, it's happened to me a couple of times. I'm sure it's happened to you as well, Sky. Um, but I, I like to base my decisions off of numbers. I'm a very numbers oriented person. I am as well. And it's uh, it feels good when you have a gut call and you call it correctly, yep. but it feels pretty rough <laughs> when you have a gut call and it doesn't go well. And you're like, oh, maybe I should have you know, paid to attention the a little bit us. closer. Sure. Absolutely. So cool, man. Well, let's dive into it. Stoked to have you on the podcast, man. Let's get rolling here. We're going to break down our top 15. So, of course, every other position in this series, we've been doing our top 24 at each position. But we're going to do our top 15 tight ends because honestly, after 15, you're probably not drafting a backup tight end, maybe a, a handcuff, if you will, on certain um, teams, which we'll get into. Or if you're in a way deep league or maybe you're in a tight end premium league, uh, which I'd like to ask you about here in just one second as we get into. But basically, we're just going to knock out our first 15 tight ends and uh, just break down every player like we generally do. And before we get into that, really quickly, how do you feel and have you played in any leagues that have a tight end premium league? And for listeners, maybe unfamiliar, that essentially means if, say, uh, you know, your running backs and your receivers get one point per reception, uh, maybe your tight end gets a point and a half to give them a little bit of an extra edge. Sami, how do you feel about that? Are you a fan, not a fan, or don't think otherwise? So I'm not really a fan of any leagues that offer bonuses for uh, different positions. I'm even not a fan of the, uh, I guess, the rushing yardage that quarterbacks get uh, or the points that they get from their rushing yardage versus a running back. I don't like that difference just because it doesn't correlate to actual football. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of nerfing kickers. Uh, I like to correlate fantasy as much as possible to the actual game of football. And for that reason, I mean, I don't feel like a, a reception by a tight end should be valued more than a reception by a running back or uh, a wide receiver. Totally agree. I totally agree. And I, I think it, it makes it so much more top heavy too. There, there's already an advantage with the top couple guys, say, you know, Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, Ingram, exactly. whoever you have at the top. But if you have a point and a half <laughs> for those guys, I mean, you know, Kelsey's putting up 30 points, maybe on a great week, you know, whatever in PPR, he might put up 40 plus yep. at the tight end position. I mean, that's just, it's not even, you can't even compete at that level. So <laughs> I agree with you. And, and uh, I'm also not exactly into, to the bonuses there for separate. It definitely positions. adds, it definitely adds a certain interesting element to, you know, when you're drafting, uh, because then I feel like, uh, you know, I'm a proponent, you, you guys, your listeners will learn this as well over the course of the episode. Um, I don't really draft tight ends early ever. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it would kind of change my strategy where, yeah, I might have to reach for an Ertz or, or Kelsey uh, in the first two rounds if I am playing in that league. So it definitely changes up my strategy and the way I go about the draft. I like that. And I think that touches on something that I heard you mention in one of your episodes that I actually have a note here that I would like you to speak on eventually. It could be now as it comes up or just when it comes up in the episode. But you made a mention of drafting on value. Yep. And I thought you had a great take about that. And, and like I said, you can either take it away now and mention that before we get into it, knocking players out or, you know, bring it up later if you had a particular guy in mind or something. But I really learned a lot from what you had mentioned there on, on value. And I think there's that whole narrative of go RB wide receiver early, save uh, um, quarterbacks, save tight ends or go heavy on Kelsey, but then understand that you need to draft uh, you know, running backs and receivers accordingly or take a top quarterback. But then again, 
understand that you're losing, say, you know, third round value somewhere else or whatever, and you right. need to draft accordingly. Uh, yeah. So Sky, Sky, there, there's really no one correct strategy when it comes to drafting, right? Like if you if you prefer taking a tight end early, by all means, go for it. Uh, my whole philosophy when it comes to drafting, however, is you know I'd like to get my positional depth locked up. Uh, where I'm going to be starting two to three running backs or wide receivers every week, where I'm only starting one tight end every week. And I mean, just that just combined with the fact that seven out of the top 12 tight ends last year were drafted in the ninth round or later. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty uh, consistent trend over the last 10 years, 20 years or whatnot, uh, where a lot of people that you know, they're thinking that some of these guys that they're drafting in the fourth or fifth round, they're, they're guaranteed to finish in the top five. That's not always the case. You have those guys that are sleepers. You have those guys in the waivers. And even on the waivers, Sky, I mean, there were 51 instances last year in 2018 where a tight end that was drafted in the 10th round or later or even was on the waivers that week finished in the top 10. And if you break the 51 down to per week basis, it comes out to three tight ends a week that you could find on the waiver or that you draft in the 10th round or later that put up eight or more fantasy points in half PPR. So again, I mean, some people are more comfortable streaming the position because they, they're they confident in their ability to identify some value on a week-to-week basis, and they feel comfortable knowing that, hey, my wide receivers and running backs, they're going to put up more points and compensate for the fact that I don't have a Kittle or I don't have an Ertz or I don't have a Kelsey. Um, where, where others, you know, some people might not feel that confident. They might want to anchor that position down with one of those top picks. And in that case, what happens, Sky, is really interesting, is when one of those teams, if they lose their stud running back or wide receiver, I've seen it so many times where they have no more depth at their, at their running back or wide receiver position, they're forced to trade that stud tight end to a team that did draft a, a tight end in the later rounds, um, if that makes sense. Absolutely, and I think we see it more prevalent with quarterbacks the same idea i just don't you know not so many people stream tight ends the way that we stream quarterbacks but i think it's the same philosophy ish where we see so much like ryan fitzpatrick or mm-hmm. something who you know goes undrafted on draft day and all of a sudden becomes ryan fitz magic over the first half of the season yep. and he's a streamer he's the number one quarterback blah 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 that happens a lot on the quarterback side on the tight end side it also happens i just don't think it's noticed as often because people don't stream tight ends the way that we do quarterbacks but when you look on the waivers the week after to see you know who was hot or if your guy got hurt or whatever all of a sudden a random you know uh cj ozama or something puts up 25 points or whatever and you're just like right. what the hell even <laughs> haven't yeah. you been paying attention to him you know and, and you're right it's those those undrafted guys and last year i think the biggest instance for that uh which helped me you know win a league was eric ebron and yep. Yep. he went from kind of you know uh, bust almost Eric Ebron considering the hype coming out of college and being with the lions. And we always waited for the potential never really happened. He goes with the Colts, So there's Doyle there. That's not good. Doyle gets hurt. Ebron is second in the league in touchdowns and absolutely just destroys. And at the tight end position, when you have that type of output, especially with somebody who wasn't drafted or drafted extremely late that, I mean, that kind of thing is a, is a league winner. So I, I think that's a great call. Right, and that that goes back to that value that I, that you had brought up, um, where if you can get a monster value like Ebron, for example, last year, if you picked him up in in the last uh, in the last round of your drafts, I mean, you got a league winner pretty much right there because not only did you get all of that depth at the other positions, but you locked down your tight end position as well. Totally agree. And while we're talking about the Colts, and I appreciate the breakdown. Thanks, man. Again, I learned a lot of that on 100%. on your podcast there, and and I wanted to make sure that we 
you know, reviewed that right away on, on this podcast here, because I think it's more prevalent to the tight end position, maybe than any other position in fantasy football. So thank you for breaking that down once again, and let's just go right into it. Then we're talking about Ebron and Doyle. Uh, let's talk about Doyle first. Um, you have him at 15. I've got him at 13, a little bit higher. Uh, yeah. But of course there's the elephant in the room, which we all know, which is, which is Eric Ebron. And, and you've got him at 10 and I've got him a little bit higher at eight, but neither one of us are, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid from last year per se with the top <laughs> five. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, man, I think you do a, a really solid job of breaking down Ebron and Doyle uh, specifically, if you wouldn't mind cutting that up. Sure, sure. So uh, so Doyle, actually, I mean, I, I love Doyle this year. Uh, I have him at 15 right now only because he is coming off that hip injury. Uh, he's coming, you know, you know, he's a, he's a little bit older as well. Uh, but I really do feel like he has a pretty solid floor in, in PPR formats uh, where Andrew Luck and, and Frank Reich, they do love their tight ends. They do run a lot of t- uh, tight ends, two tight end sets, whether that be 12 or 22 personnel. Um, but with the splits between the two, I mean, it was really interesting last year, right, Sky? Because uh, Doyle actually helped Ebron out in two different ways. Uh, the first way, obviously, you know, when he did get injured, that just equaled more snaps on the field for Eric Ebron. So that was the first way that he, that Doyle helped Ebron out. The second way that Doyle helped Ebron out was since he was off the field, we have to keep in mind that Doyle is one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. Uh, and now with Gronk out of the picture, I think Doyle might be up there in, in like the top three. Um, as far as a complete tight end who can block and who, and who can also do stuff after the catch as well. So Doyle leaving the field, it forced this offense to to not run the ball when they got in the end zone. It, it forced them to create more mismatches, uh, splitting out Ebron into the slot out wide, uh, creating those mismatches with those DBs or the linebackers. And, you know, that's, wh- that's where Ebron's touchdown production came in from. Um, but now with Doyle back this year, I'm – Really, really confident that this team leans more on the run in the end zone, in the red zone, in goal-to-go situations because they have a really talented back in Marlon Mack. They also have Naheem Hines, Jordan Wilkins, who was really effective down the stretch as well. Um, But I think when healthy, Doyle changes this offense completely. Uh, As far as the splits go, though, with Ebron and Doyle, it's really interesting when when I did dive into these numbers here because Ebron played with Doyle in six games, weeks one, two, eight, 10, 11, and 12 but week 12 i i kind of I, I included in this metric but we have to keep in mind that jack doyle actually went down in week 12 versus miami um i think he played a couple snaps like 12 snaps in that game and he was actually hospitalized in that after that game uh but i still included that in here where ebron did play that game with doyle so ebron in those games you know he averaged uh i think it was like 49 snaps or 48 snaps and he averaged nine targets five receptions, 50 yards, and a half a touchdown uh, without Doyle. But with Doyle, he was averaging 1.33 touchdowns and only three receptions. I mean, Doyle adds to the fact that they can bring in Ebron in goal line situations. They don't really need him between the 20s. But in those most crucial situations, I, I feel like Ebron's floor is still there with the touchdowns, uh, having Jack Doyle back into back in the lineup. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, this this offense is, really loves running those two tight end sets. If you think back to 2016 in Philly as well, uh, they were running a bunch of two tight end sets. And I think they do that as well in Philly, uh, continuing this year, um, which, you know, we'll talk about that in a bit here. Um, but no, I, I think overall... Doyle has a, a better floor than Ebron, but Ebron, we all know, he can win you a week putting up, you know, three touchdowns. And touchdowns are so 
so swaying at the tight end position. It's insane. The tight end um, position is all touchdowns. That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> absolutely. And when when just to pile on really quick, we'll move on. When Doyle played, he led Eric Ebron in targets 33 to 22 and target share 15.35 to 10.71. So he has, I think Doyle is more of a possession guy in between the 20s. We've seen him be that possession guy, a nice PPR tight end for Andrew Luck. But you just mentioned he doesn't have the touchdown upside that Eric Ebron has. Eric right. Ebron scored seven touchdowns in those six games, and yeah. uh, Doyle only scored twice. So I think um, it's interesting to see. We're going to talk about another a pair of tight ends here on this list from the same team, um, but it is extremely rare uh, to have two tight ends um, in the in the top you know 15, let alone maybe the top 10 at the end of the season. Uh, most notably, of course, uh, you know, we had um, Gronk uh, back. What year was that? 2000. With Aaron Hernandez? Yeah. Aaron 2014. And, and yeah, 2014. 20, yep. And that's when they were, you know, both of them were able to beast out. But I, I truly believe that if Doyle can stay healthy and, you know, luck is luck and the Colts are fine, I, I think both these guys could potentially be top 10. Uh, but ranking wise, it just doesn't make sense quite yet to see what happens with Doyle coming off the off the injury there. And you you mentioned in week thirteen he had a lacerated kidney that sent yep. him to the hospital, unfortunately. So um, hopefully he can get back from that. Yep, absolutely. All right, well let's move on here. We'll talk about Ebron in just a little bit. We've got him a little bit higher. We'll break him down a little further if we need to. But moving on, I have Dallas Goddard at fourteen. You have him at twelve. And I was very pleased to actually see that you have him above me because I'm I'm looking for reasons to rank him higher. I have Jack Doyle just one spot ahead of him uh, at 13. But I love Dallas Goddard. Of course, he's paired up with Zach Ertz. Um, but frankly, uh, you know, Goddard and Ertz are this other pair, of course, that could potentially be in the top 10 if things work out. You just mentioned how, how uh, much they target the tight end there in Philadelphia. And we saw that with Trey Burton before he went to Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, Goddard a little bit higher than me though. Would you like to kick this one off as well? Sure. So, I mean, Dallas Goddard, it's, it's not that complicated. I mean, I think this offense loves running two tight end sets as well. Um, you know, shades of Frank Reich when he was here in 2016 and 20, mm -hmm. 2017. Um, and, you know, in 2018, Dallas Goddard, he finishes a tight end 21, but if you look at his efficiency, he only saw 44 targets, but he caught 75% of them. He ended up with 33 receptions, 334 yards, and four touchdowns. Um, so that's pretty impressive by itself. But then if you look at how many of his receptions actually went for 20 or more yards, it was five of them. So nearly 12 to 13% of his total receptions went for 20 or more yards. So this guy's really athletic. He's, he's, a, he's a good mismatch weapon. And you saw the Eagles slowly over the course of the season start to increase the propensity at which they called those two tight end sets. Um, and I really do think that... Uh, you know, Ertz is someone that we're going to talk about in a second here, but I really do think that Dallas Goddard is going to eat into to Ertz's share. And to be quite frank with you, I mean, Sky, I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas Goddard is this year's Eric Ebron. I totally agree. 100% agree with you. And yeah. and Ertz, Ertz is Ertz, and he dominated at all categories, really, for the Eagles, except for one, which was the catch rate. I thought this was interesting. Now, of course, Ertz had many more targets, uh, so the ratio is a little skewed. But yep. Goddard was third among tight ends at 78.6% catch rate, and Ertz was seventh, 74%. So, um, you know, Ertz set, set a record with 116 receptions. That was but, nuts, man. But I really, I really do believe, though, that Goddard in his second year, you know, everyone, everything out of camp and everything you're seeing and hearing so far is that, you know, 
Goddard is just waiting his opportunity. He's he's physically, mentally, and athletically there. He's just got one of the best tight ends in the NFL in front of him. And if they team them up, they're going to be extremely dangerous. If Ertz were to go down, though, just like uh, Jack Doyle did last year, I 100% agree. And I think Dallas Goddard would be a you know top five tight end easy, potentially one of the top three with the work. Right, right. And, you know, I don't see Goddard having too high of a floor just because obviously Ertz is still there and he's going to see more than 100 targets. Um, I just think that Goddard does eat into some of the end zone work. Uh, he creates more of a mismatch. And Ertz has really been, you know, Wentz's safety blanket. Uh, and he really benefited. And this is something we'll talk about when we get to Ertz as well. But he really benefited from the lack of run game. So uh, that definitely changes with the with the introduction of Jordan Howard now and Miles Sanders there. So uh, I, I definitely think they're going to have more of a chance to involve Goddard. Totally agree. I totally agree. I'm excited for Dallas Goddard. I, I was excited for him last year actually coming out um, randomly a, a quick side tangent. Just the only reason I knew who Dallas Goddard was, uh, was um, North Dakota State. Um, mm -hmm. I have been a touring musician for many years. I mentioned quite a few times here on the podcast, but I've actually spent quite a bit of time in North Dakota uh, <laughs> touring through <laughs> because I'm all the way on the west side. We're in Oregon. So up here we got limited you know limited markets i guess you'd call them but i've spent a lot of time up there and when you're up in that part of the country there's no one else to root for except for the bison so <laughs> i've actually i'm actually a football nerd you know all around i played growing up so i would pay attention when we'd be up there during the fall season right, and watch these right. guys play and he was absolutely tearing it up so I, I actually paid attention a little bit to dallas goddard in college and then he went to the eagles which i thought was kind of a bummer just because of zach Ertz. but we saw his rookie season in limited work he clearly has uh has really the upside to be a top tight end in the NFL. And I think eventually he absolutely will be. Yeah. yeah. Who do you like better? Do you like Goddard? Do you like uh, Burton from 2017? Who do you think is more talented? Talented? I think Goddard is. I agree. I, yeah. I definitely, I definitely loved Burton. Uh, you know, watching him play, I, I like. I, I'm not sure if you remember, but Ertz went down uh, for for I think a couple games. I think it was like two games. He went down in 2017, mm -hmm. and I picked up you know, Burton, and he was kind of a plug and play for me, uh, being a part of that Eagles offense that loves to utilize the tight end. Uh, but I think if that happens, like we were talking about, where Goddard can just completely take over, uh, create this create those mismatches all over the field if Ertz were to go down. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and we saw it was a lot of the coaching um, and the strategy maybe last year, but we saw that, you know, he, Burton wasn't as much of a factor as everybody wanted him to be preseason last year. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I truly believe that if Goddard gets the same work and if Ertz does happen to go down, I mean, Goddard did his work without Ertz being hurt. If Ertz gets hurt and Goddard's actually able to, to be the guy, um, I, yeah, I think he's absolutely a league winner <laughs> for sure. I 100% sure. yep. agree. Let's move on to another guy that uh, I think we actually, this is kind of the first one that we, you know, vastly disagree with. Um I'm going to save your dude for a little bit later because you've got a much higher. So we're going to save awesome. save your man for quite a, quite a <laughs> uh, bit later in the episode. But I do want to go over Vance McDonald. Um, sure. you, have him at, you have him at 14. I've got him up at nine. And when I was doing my rankings, I, I started him at like 14 and then I moved him up a little and then I moved him back. And then I thought about putting him like higher and I just didn't feel good about that. And maybe I just have a bias because I watched him play every single game for the 49ers being a 49er fan for four years. And mm -hmm. he never really got the potential um, out because he was often injured and, and we had some shitty teams during that time. Yeah. But I just, 
we know it's there and I'm, I'm trying not to be just super hyped on the whole Buccaneer stiff arm play because I've seen him do more than that. <laughs> but that kind of stuff just makes me more excited about his potential. You have him all the way down at 14, which I felt was pretty low. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is your, with Antonio Brown being gone with Jesse James being gone, seeing him at 14 for me is a little surprising uh, for Vance McDonald. Yeah, so I think it's a combination of, you know, Jesse James obviously is gone. Um, Jesse James is a really good blocking tight end. I, th I definitely think a, a couple of those assignments get uh, shifted towards Vance's, uh, I guess, direction where he's going to be in there uh, on snaps where he is blocking. Um, but with the vacated targets, it's really interesting I want to talk about because I feel like the vacated targets are being too overhyped for Vance McDonald. Mm -hmm. Sure, there's like about 165 targets that are vacated here. We have to keep in mind that they still brought in Dante Moncrief. They have James Conner, who's a very capable pass catcher out of the backfield. They have Jalen Samuels, who I know they're going to get involved a little bit more as well, who can be a move tight end, who can be pretty versatile in this offense. And then you have Deontay Johnson, the new rookie, James Washington taking a second-year step forward, hopefully. And then Juju, who's going to command about 160 targets himself, where I think those targets, you know, they don't directly correlate to Vance McDonald. So that's the first thing I'd like to address with, with Vance and his hype that he's getting this offseason. Temper your expectations there as far as his target share goes. Um, but talking about his injuries and talking about his stiff arm game against the Bucks last year. So Vance has only played 15 games twice in his career. The first time it was his rookie year in 2013, and then the second time was last year. And outside of that, I mean, he's 29. Can he really stay healthy for a full 16 games? I think that's the first question that comes to mind. Um, I'm not sure, you know, if you're concerned about that, but that's definitely a concern that crosses my mind. And I don't typically like to incorporate injuries just because nobody can project, project injuries. It's, it's a very fluky thing to try to even project, even with quote-unquote injury-prone players. Um, but with Vance McDonald, he's only, like, he hasn't broken out and he's 29. I mean, if he hasn't broken out by now, what makes you think that 20 more targets is going to make him have a 1,000-yard season? Or what makes you think that he's going to be the sole uh, end zone target when they, they have a lot of weapons on this offense and Tomlin knows how to draw plays? How about the narrative that um, – and this is more of a, a question, actual question back to sure. you. What about the narrative of, of tight ends, especially in fantasy football, taking quite a while to get – to their breakout potential. I think I, I think I think back again to uh, Eric Ebron, and I think that people got so frustrated right away because the hype of him coming out of college was so immense, and he was very immature as a player and very young, literally, and it just didn't happen in, in Detroit when we expected it to, so we wrote him off. And then we saw last year with the work, with the athletic ability, with a better team overall, and the opportunity, of course, he, you know, exploded. And I don't think Van and run necessarily but i do think there is something to say with jesse james being gone I, I like the point of him being blocking more often but at the same time he's just on the field and we know that being on the field is being on the field um heath miller was never a league winner but he was a very steady tight end for uh, for big ben for a, a very long time before ab pretty much took over the offense with lev bell and stuff um and you know juju is going to command as much as he can uh but those other younger receivers although i do like them quite a bit I think a lot of it has to just come with familiarity with uh, Big Ben and over, you know, in the red zone, especially. I mean, I think Vance McDonald is one of those guys where I think he will have volume. I think he will have uh, receptions and yards, but I'm actually most excited about his touchdown potential. I, I honestly think in this type of offense, if they pass anywhere close to where they were last year, when mm -hmm. Big Ben led the league in pass attempts, 
he could potentially get eight to 10 touchdowns. And if he gets that, I mean, he's, he's going to be, you know, probably top eight anyway, just on touchdown upside. And we saw his athletic ability. If he's able to get out in space, um, you know, similar maybe to like a George Kittle or so uh, where he's able to make yards after the catch and things like that. So yeah, he's kind of my most like, I don't feel good about the ranking at nine, but at the same time, the guys I have below him, I just don't see the upside that McDonald potentially does have, but you make the best point, which is he's missed a quarter of his game so far in his career. He's missed 23 games out of a possible 96. That is definitely a red flag. So a couple of things I just want to unpack there that you had just mentioned. Um, The first thing you had mentioned, you know, how, how long does it take for tight ends to break out? I actually saw, um, I forgot who posted this, but I saw this really, really cool stat. And I actually uh, try to fact check it as well, where I think it was 64% of tight ends uh, reach their peak in year three. Mm-hmm. Um, not, that's not to say that Vance McDonald can't reach his peak at, at age 29 in his, uh, year, year seven, year seven <laughs> yeah, eight, you know, yeah. um, but going back to the touchdown upside that you had mentioned. So big Ben, yeah, he's the type of quarterback who likes to develop a rapport with his receivers, but he's also the type of quarterback that doesn't throw his guys open. He's going to throw to you when you get open. Mm-hmm. Is that right or wrong? Yeah, I, I believe that. So with Vance McDonald, you're absolutely right where he does have a George Kittle yards after catch ability. As a matter of fact, he actually ranks second in yards after catch amongst all tight ends. And I think that big uh, hundred yard play definitely had something to do with that. <laughs> um, where, where that, you know, he stiff armed. I forgot who it was that he stiff armed, but man, that was that was pretty mean. Uh, but if you look at his target separation, meaning the separation at the point of attack, Vance McDonald ranked 30th amongst all tight ends. He only had a yard and a quarter of separation at the point of target. So Vance isn't a guy that can run polished routes or, or can get open on, on command. I think it's more about you scheme up a play and he gets open. That's where you dump it off to him and, and watch him work. Um, and then also going back to the blocking assignments. Yeah, he's going to be on the field a little, yeah, bit more, a little bit more. But I think that I think that gives him an opportunity to get injured more. Right. Because if he's in blocking assignments, I think we, we've seen he's a little bit injury prone. And I don't like to use that label lightly, but I do think Vance McDonald is injury prone. Um, where I feel like those blocking assignments could hurt him more than help him. Fair enough. I get it. And he's in the trenches too, you know, so all it takes is a linebacker cracking or him getting in the, you know, getting tripped up on an offensive lineman. I understand that. Uh, He did set career highs last year in targets at 72 receptions at 50 um, total yards at 610 and was, you know, tied to this 2016 high with four touchdowns, which again, isn't super sexy. I just, you think the work is there and, and uh, I just have to believe that, you know, I love Juju. Where do you have, I don't want to talk receivers and get uh, get sidetracked too much, but with AB being gone, all that stuff, just in relation to Vance McDonald and the work share, I think he's going to have. I love Juju. Um, he's my number five receiver. Where do you have him right now? So we're recording this on uh, on Tuesday, and my my revised top twenty four positional rankings are actually coming out on Friday. Uh, but just okay. a little bit sneak peek here, Juju is actually my top three. He is okay. Cool. Yeah. And uh, can I make an assumption that Adams and Hopkins are above him. Hopkins is not above him. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear about that. Cause I actually, <laughs> I wanted to move him above Michael Thomas and yada, yada. I guess that'll be a conversation for another time. Absolutely. But for me, for me, I love Juju, you know, as much as you do. Absolutely. Um, completely in on Juju next year. Willing to take him it, first round. I'm more than happy with him as my wide receiver one. 
I just happened to take him actually in our showdown fantasy showdown league uh, with Instagram accounts with less than a thousand followers. Yep. We just started a league. We had a draft last night and I took him as my first pick and I was very excited about that. So that's awesome. Really fun. And um, so anyway, back to tight ends. I'm excited about Vance McDonald. I think he's got the upside, but I guess we will just, you know, agree to disagree here. And that's yep. why we have these conversations. Yep. Uh, let's get into um, your next player who I actually don't have ranked. So I'd like to hear about this. And that is uh, Trey Burton of the Bears, who I was super high on and definitely buying the Kool-Aid like everybody else last year. But, you know, he burned me pretty bad. And he's still finished, you know, as a quality tight end overall. But outside of one week, I think it was the week that uh, Trubisky threw six touchdowns versus the Bucks. Mm -hmm. Outside of that one game, there wasn't really a game where you were excited that you had Trey Burton on your team. And he really, I think, let you down more often than not, at least in my opinion, as a Trey Burton owner last year. Yep. Um, you have him at number 13. I actually don't have him ranked in my top 15. Sure. So, I mean, I think Trey Burton got a little bit too much hype last year. Uh, first year in the system with Matt Nagy as well. First year coach, uh, you know, trying to implement a system. And there was one comment specifically that was made that I think just uh, – took his ADP through the roof. I think he was being drafted in like the, the mid sixth round last year in mm -hmm. PPR formats. So Matt Nagy came out and said that Trey Burton's going to play the Travis Kelsey role. I'm not sure if you yeah. remember that guy. I, I, I'm the one that raised the ADP. <laughs> <laughs> it was my fault, everybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why'd you do that, man? No, I'm kidding. But Trey Burton, listen, he's a talented guy. I, I think he has... Uh, tight end one, not not the tight end one, but tight end one in terms of top 12 tight ends. He definitely has that upside. I mean, we saw that last year where he finished, what, as like the tight end eight or the tight end seven and half PPR formats. Um, I think this year, you know, we could see a little bit more of that Travis Kelsey role that Nagy did envision for Trey Burton. But I think I like the receivers here a little bit better where they can get open. But Trey Burton has touchdown upside because he is a mismatch weapon and he does have the ability to get open. Um, you know, he, he started off pretty slow. I mean, he put up 15 and 20 yards in his first two weeks. But then after that, he was putting up 86 yards, 120 yards. He had a 100-yard game. Um, he didn't really have any multi-touchdown games. But I think he's one of those guys that, you know, you can just kind of plug in and hope for the best. Because Nagy's offense is more about you know, catering to the opponent. And we saw that last year with Jordan Howard's usage, Tariq Cohen's usage, uh, where they like to scheme up and, and game plan for, for their opponent. And I think you can kind of tr try to identify when to start Trey Burton against those historically bad teams against tight ends like the Giants, like the Browns, uh, like Miami, um, some of those teams. So I think Trey Burton's fine as a tight end one. I don't see him dropping any further than that just because Trubisky, I don't have the most faith in him as, as a good quarterback. I'm sorry if you have any Bears fans as listeners, but Trey Burton, to me, it's, he's a pretty safe option if you can get him in double-digit rounds. And with you having him at number 13, and I don't have him ranked, and, you know, I don't – I mean, he's – for this – for sake of this episode, we decided to do our top 15, so I didn't go further than that. Right. Um, with with my rankings yet, but I can't imagine I would have him any. You know, I might have him at sixteen, to be honest. With somebody at thirteen, you're basically if you're drafting that thirteenth tight end as your tight end one somehow, just in the way things shake out, and you wait that long, you're really banking on upside anyway. And I think Burton does bring you upside, and we've seen him catch multiple touchdowns. I think he could be just fine, especially in that offense. So yeah, I'm not. He, I don't hate Burton per se, he, but I he's just not a, he's not a sexy option by any means. I mean, he was right. on the Eagles, but this offense doesn't really utilize two tight end sets or doesn't really utilize mm -hmm. them as a mismatch weapon as, as much as they could 
Um, that could change. You never know. I mean, they have a better run game this year, I think, with Dave Montgomery. Um, you know, they'll have Tariq Cohen in the slot. Maybe Trey Burton could line up in line and then kind of get out like Kittle was uh, last year. Oh, who okay. You know, I do think Burton could have potential monster yards after the catchability. I think he's a really good athlete as well over overall. Um, but again, I, I don't see him falling out of like the top 12, top 13. Uh, I think he's a pretty safe bet to, to end up here. Sure. Fair enough. I like that. And I think a big reason was he did get extra work in 2017 when Ertz went down a little bit. And yeah. also, man, that's really special. I think that was. I, I don't think want to that talk was about the- it. I know, but that that was, that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the Trey Burton hype train. And, and then it backed up with now he goes to Nagy. Now he's Travis Kelsey. Now the bears are better all of a sudden, yada, yada. And again, being honest, man, I like to, I like to call myself on my own shit here on the podcast and be as transparent as possible. I was about it last year and I believed all that shit. And I watched the film and I do the research and I was still, I was still in it. You know, I wasn't just watching fucking Matt Berry stuff. I was, listen, man, I, I can you're not myself. alone. You're not alone yeah. because I'm not going to lie. I was pretty high on him, but I just wasn't willing to invest uh, a six round pick in a tight end where, you know, I could have yeah. picked up someone later. Again, I, I don't draft tight ends early. <laughs> yep. And that's, it's smart. And it kind of, it kind of knocked me off of that wagon as well. So, all right, you have Trey Burton at number 13. I don't have him ranked in my top 15. Uh, we've already talked about Dallas Goddard. Let's go over to my number 12. And that is Austin Hooper, who uh, looks like you do not have ranked either. My biggest thing with Austin Hooper is just looking at what the combo of OJ Howard and Cameron Brait teamed up to do mm-hmm. last year with with uh, Dirk Cutter, and they totaled 92 targets, 64 receptions, 854 yards, and 11 touchdowns total, 215 fantasy points in PPR, 13.4 a game, which. Uh, you know, for me is a really, really solid tight end. And there's just no other tight end in, in Atlanta um, as far as, you know, a weapon. And I think that Matt Ryan is, his numbers are going to go down a little bit. Uh, I know Dirk Cutter's coming back. He did very well. I broke all that down in the tight ends episode, or excuse me, the quarterback episode. I broke down Julio pretty in depth on the wide receiver episode um, with Dirk Cutter coming back and things like that. But as far as the tight ends go, I just, I like the upside of what Hooper can bring if he is actually that type of tight end. I I know that he had one huge play at the beginning of last year that got everyone excited again, yep. and he really hit or miss after that. Um, I don't see myself ever drafting Austin Hooper, I'll be perfectly honest. But yeah. rankings-wise, I could see him finishing as a tight end one with the amount of work, you know, a handful of touchdowns, and you know, a good amount of yardage in what I think to be a high-flying offense, once again, albeit not as ridiculous because they should have some running backs this year and yeah. somewhat of a defense, which they didn't last year. But again, this is kind of just a, a dart throw. If you wait that long, I wouldn't be – I might go Hooper and then maybe a, a Doyle or a Goddard or somebody else uh, way late if you had to, to tag team two tight ends in, in the last part of your drafts. I think you could do worse than Dallas or uh, Austin Hooper. Yeah, you definitely can. Um, and I honestly had Austin Hooper ranked, uh, I, th- I believe it was at number seven or eight. Um, mm. But news came out about two weeks ago that he's actually going to be missing minicamp or training camp with uh, an ankle ankle injury. Mm. And that kind of got to me because, I mean, Austin Hooper has never been that guy that, you know, like you had mentioned, you don't really want to draft him. We've all kind of been banking on a, on a breakout with Austin Hooper. 
Um, Matt Ryan just doesn't really target his tight ends that much. I mean, you know, outside of, I mean, Gonzalez, when he, when he did have him, I'm not going to say Hooper is as good as the tight ends that you mentioned with Matt Ryan, uh, with, uh, I'm sorry, uh, OJ Howard and Cameron Brait. I think uh, Cameron Brait's a better red zone weapon than Austin Hooper. I think OJ Howard's better between the twenties and Austin Hooper. Um, so I wouldn't directly correlate those two. Uh, but I think it's the injury that's really just got me dropping Austin Hooper a little bit. I'm, I'm concerned it's more of like a wait-and-see situation for me, where if he is back at training camp or if he is playing in uh, preseason, by all means, I'll slide him right back into my rankings. I think he deserves to be there uh, in the top 12. Um, again, you know, if he's if he's healthy, uh, he could definitely be a pretty safe option as a top 12 tight end. Fair enough. He did finish the tight end six last year, and I yep. think he could stay around roughly – 80 targets, 65 receptions, about 600 yards. And if you can boost up to about eight touchdowns, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility, to be honest, if you can get up about eight touchdowns, which again, for a tight end is a lot, then that would be roughly 173 PPR fantasy points, 10.8 a game, which out of your tight end is great. And that would be, again, tight end six from last year, but it would be about 10 points better than he was in 2018. So again, Austin Hooper, I think is just kind of my, my later tight end, uh, dart throw you know it, you're, it's kind of like Burton for me it's kind of strictly hoping for upside but probably going to be frustrating along the way yeah he's going to have weeks where you know his floor is going to be like one or two points and yep. <laughs> um, that's just kind of what you have to take with the tight end position if you're not willing to stream and you know it's, it just is what it is but again keep your ear to the ground uh, about this injury and you know keep keep track of that because if that injury seems to be a little bit serious I think that uh, that definitely hurts his hurts his stock, of course, because if he's not going to be playing, obviously he's not going to be ranked. So, all right, TZK Potters. Before we get into the rest of our episode, I'm going to take a quick break right here and remind you to please follow us outside of the podcast as well. You can find the TCK Pod on Instagram at Fantasy Football underscore TCK Pod on Twitter at TCK underscore Pod, Facebook with the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast, and drop us an email at TCK Pod at gmail.com. And of course, please leave a rate and review for the podcast. We much appreciate your feedback and contributions to what we're doing. Also, make sure you follow the Draft Room Podcast anywhere you like to hear your podcast. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter at Draft Room Pod, also on Facebook and YouTube at the Draft Room Podcast. So let's get into the next session of the first grip of our tight ends. But before that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Anchor. Stay tuned. Hey, TCK Potters, I want to give a shout out to Anchor, which is the podcast avenue we record with to bring you these episodes. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. Like, how do I record a podcast? How do I record an episode? How do I get the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast onto all of the apps that people are listening to? And how can I reach as many people as possible for free and make money at the same time from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is Anchor. Anchor is the one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you up with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. Gaining some revenue from those podcast sponsors is essential to making necessary upgrades to the podcast and your overall brand. I appreciate how user-friendly Anchor is and how we can record our episodes via our computers or over the phone, similar to a voice memo or a phone call, and we can record these episodes, edit them down as needed, upload them, and boom, the episode is ready to launch. 
So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and even make money doing it, go to anchor.fm forward slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. One more time, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Speaking of injuries, and if you're worried about Austin Hooper, who you know has been pretty clean for his career, uh, you're probably not super excited about Delaney Walker, I would imagine. Um, he's, he's not ranked uh, for you right now. I actually have him as my number 11. He's coming off of a broken ankle, uh, first game of the season. Um, he's 35 now. Uh, I can go into to Walker and try to convince you otherwise, but you don't have him ranked. Um, so what are your, other than him being old and coming off of a broken leg, uh, any other red flags? Yeah, I mean, this offense. Um, yep. I'm not a fan of the Titans offense. Uh, you know, I think uh, they're going to be run heavy. I think we all know that where this offense is going to run through Derrick Henry or that at least they're going to try to make a run through Derrick Henry. And if that's the case, I mean, a 35-year-old blocking tight end, or tight end that's going to be, you know, asked to block more often than uh, get in space. I'm not a fan of that. Um, you know, Mariota can't really support a top wide receiver. Uh, we've seen him, you know, love Delaney Walker as a, as a safety blanket, but I don't think Delaney Walker has the ability to be that safety blanket for Mariota anymore. One thing I want to mention about the offense, I agree with you. I'm not excited about the Titans either. And actually, I kind of have a uh, no Titans policy uh, with my drafting this year, most likely. Mm -hmm. um, but I do want to mention that Arthur Smith is the new offensive coordinator. He's a first time play caller, so it's not exactly exciting, but he was formerly the tight ends coach. And I think things like that help in a locker room help on the on the field he's been working with delaney walker directly the last three years he's taken over from matt lafleur obviously um and i think that he's just going to give delaney all the work that he can handle now delaney walker might turn into this year's greg olson which uh i'm terrified of uh for sure Tampered by his foot absolutely yes yes um but again i think when you're at this point of the the way i think about this is when you're at this point of the tight ends if you skip on the big four or five whoever you have up at the top you skip on those guys then you're looking at okay i'm looking at like a middle round guy someone with good upside and a good floor who's that okay well maybe you skip on them now you're looking at like Strictly upside dudes, in my opinion. You're not drafting anybody as the 10th or 12th, 15th tight end that you expect to have a floor and, and um, you know, upside. So for me, Delaney Walker is clearly Marcus Mariota's favorite weapon, has been since Mariota got there. Uh, I think he's going to pepper him as, as much as he possibly can. And Delaney Walker did break his foot or his ankle, so, you know, that's not good. But over his 13-year uh, career, he's he missed – uh, seven, he missed nine games, excuse me, his rookie season. He missed 14 in uh, 2010. And then last year, of course, otherwise he's played at least 15 games the rest of his career. And he's also been quietly one of the most reliable tight ends in fantasy. Absolutely. Actually, this was a crazy stat. Um, he's actually the second most and actually the first once I get there, but he's actually has the second most fantasy points in PPR over the last three seasons, points per game behind only Tyler Eifert who only played 14 games over that time. So his numbers are obviously skewed. So really you could think of Delaney Walker as being the number one tight end and fantasy points per game over the last three seasons. That was shocking to me. Um, yeah. He does have yeah. a floor when he's healthy, and I think he has the uh, ceiling as well. No, he, he definitely does have a decent floor. Um, 
but I just like look at his past year's production where, yeah, he's, he might've had the most fantasy points per game and his best year came in 2015 when he went over a thousand yards and had 133 targets. But if you look at his yards per reception over the last like five years, they've gone down gradually 14.1. Yeah, he can't move. <laughs> he's Jason. Witten. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the older you get, you kind of turn into like a cinder block, you know, like sure. you're, you're, you're less mobile, especially coming off that foot injury. It's it's tough for me to believe and buy into the fact that Delaney Walker can separate like he used to can be effective after the catch like he used to. Um, and I think with A.J. Brown coming in, Adam Humphreys as well, taking up those slot mm-hmm. targets, I think there's a lot more to go around where this offense really didn't have anyone outside of uh, obviously Rashard Matthew a couple of years ago and then Taewon Taylor and, and Tajay Sharp last year. Uh, who both those guys were in and out of the lineup. Um, and obviously, Mary Huddle was in and out of the lineup as well. Uh, the tight end position, I don't think it gets used as much in, in the receiving game this year. Um, again, coming off that injury and Delaney being 35 and, and you know, just kind of being a cinder block. Um, I don't think he provides the same floor that, that we're used to seeing from him. And I think fantasy owners that are listening to this are thinking, why don't they just give Derrick Henry 700 touches? Um, so hopefully they will do that. But I agree <laughs> with you. When they throw the ball, uh, I think it'll be mostly uh, mostly Walker. So, all right, we can move on. Fair enough. Um, at number 11, you have David Njoku. I have him at number 10. I'll let you take this one. Sure. So David Njoku is someone who I'm tempering expectations with. Um, I think he's a phenomenal talent. I think, number one, I just like to get that, get that out of the way, where I think the talent is really, really, really good. But, I mean, going back to last year, right, if we look at some of the splits with Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens calling plays, so Hugh Jackson, from weeks one to eight, David Njoku was getting six and a half targets a game. Three he, In that time, he got three red zone uh, targets, and that's it. Um, but he was still the tight end 11 in that range uh, from weeks one to eight. And then you look at, you know, weeks nine to 16, uh, when Freddie Kitchen was calling the plays, and only and you know I only did until week sixteen because week seventeen doesn't really count. Yeah. But in in those eight weeks, it, um, yeah, in those seven weeks, sorry, um, he was getting four point three targets a game. He also only saw three red zone targets in that time frame with Freddie Kitchens as well. And ironically enough, he was still the tight end eleven. Um, so pretty consistent there. But if you look at his red zone usage and his red zone conversion rates, right, because the tight end position is all about touchdown upside. Uh, mm-hmm. Sure, I could chase a floor with a guy like Jack Doyle or David Njoku, um, who, you know, David Njoku, I don't even think has a high floor. But if you look at his red zone usage in 2017, even he saw nine red zone targets. Five of them came inside the five yard line and he only converted one of them. And in 2018, from weeks one to 16, he saw eight red zone targets. Two of them actually, sorry, from weeks one to 17, he saw eight. Two of those actually came in week 17. So in the fantasy season, he only saw six red zone targets. Three of them came inside the five yard line and he converted on two of those. And one of them, he actually had to get picked up and carried in by his offensive line. I'm not sure if you remember that against the game. with <laughs> I Cincinnati. Totally so totally I don't think he provides that touchdown upside. I mean, I'm not sold on David Njoku being an integral part of this offense. I think he could provide uh, good stability in, in, in the run blocking game. I think he's definitely a good mismatch weapon between the 20s. But again, if you add an OBJ, move Jarvis to a full-time slot role, those guys commanding a lot of those targets. You move Higgins uh, on the opposite side of OBJ. I mean, Njoku had the sixth highest target share amongst all tight ends last year, and he only finished as a tight end 11. So for his price in the eighth round, I think it's kind of overpaying, and I think he's going to be a pretty underwhelming option as well next year. Yeah, fair enough. I have him a little bit higher. I just think there's there's a little more upside there if he's able to do it. And again, I'm I'm kind of excited about uh, 
Todd Munkin coming over from Tampa Bay. And I just mentioned a little bit ago yep. uh, with uh, with Austin Hooper and breaking it down, I mentioned O.J. Howard and, and Cameron Brate's numbers at the tight end position. I mentioned with Dirk Cutter as the head coach, but, you know, really Todd Munkin is the offensive coordinator as well. So, right. you know, I, I think – I do think there's – going to be a change not a change per se i think that they're they're going to be a pretty balanced offense uh but leaning pass heavy i think uh in cleveland i think baker can definitely handle it of course odell's going to get his landry will get his targets at least um and chubb will have a great run game but i i do think that i do think that njoku is going to be the red zone guy um you know odell is odell but i'm not worried about landry down there i know you mentioned higgins uh there's also callaway who could yep. take the top off as well yep. um, so they definitely have some weapons down there i just I, this is this is I guess one of my few. I try not to go on strictly gut calls. We talked about that in the very top of the episode, but this is kind of just a gut feeling. I just think athletically he's a fucking monster, mm-hmm. and I, I think that the entire offense is obviously going to boost up with a second year of Baker and Odell and all this. But I think uh, I think Njoku is going to be a big part of that. Yeah, I can yeah. totally see that happening. I could see Njoku finishing in you know the top five, um, and that's like his ceiling where he could finish as like a t- uh, the tight end five. I don't think anything. I think anything higher than that obviously is calling it a little bit crazy. Sure, but I just think these targets are going to be divvied up so much. Where Baker, you know, he likes to push the ball down the field. He's pretty aggressive with that. And if you pair that with a guy like Odell and Jarvis, guys that can separate really easily, um, I think the targets more so go their way versus Njoku and you know. Towards the goal line, sure. Maybe he could see a, a little bit more of an uptake a little in, in not only usage and also efficiency, but I think Chubb's a pretty effective back to kind of drive it in. Mm-hmm. Kareem Hunt's coming back in week nine um, or week 10, I believe, after the after the bye. Um, but yeah, I mean, Njoku, he's, he's one of those guys where I'm not willing to invest the pick in the eighth round in a guy who um, I, I don't see having that much upside. Okay. At number 10, you have Eric Ebron. I've got him at eight. We broke him yeah. down a little bit for Jack Doyle. Is there anything with Eric Ebron you want to mention additionally before we move on? Uh, uh, not really. So Eric Ebron, I mean, he you know, he was number fourth amongst all tight ends in terms of route percentage last year where uh, 96.2% of his routes, uh, of his snaps, he was actually running routes and he wasn't really in there for blocking assignments. And I think that that trend continues where they want to use him uh, as the athletic freak that he is, uh, and they're going to use uh, Doyle in the blocking game. Um, but with Eric Ebron, you know, it's it's really more about touchdown regression. I know, you know, your listeners have probably heard this from every other fantasy analyst out there where touchdown regression is going to be there. Um, but I'm not so convinced that touchdown regression really hits that hard if Doyle's able to stay on the field. Uh, for a full 16, just because, I mean, we saw the splits, right? When Doyle was on the field, Eric Ebron scored. Uh, and I think Doyle contributes a large, a large factor to that. Um, yep. Yeah, so that's about it. I, I have him down there just because I am expecting a little bit of that ch- touch on aggression. I don't, I, you know, I think getting three receptions in the game and one, one and a third of them going for a touchdown is a little bit crazy to maintain. Uh, but of course, Frank Reich, he's an offensive genius as well. And I think he could maintain that uh, in a perfect situation. He taught it, He caught a touchdown pass on pretty much every five receptions last year. So that, that, efficiency, is, that efficiency is definitely going to go down. I totally agree. He's at my number eight just because, again, you can't get away from the upside. And as much as I, I like uh, Doyle as well, you both uh, we both have him in our top 15. But I'm a little bit worried about him coming back from that injury as well. So. Right. 
Fair enough. We'll move on there. We have one more name. Actually, actually, it looks like two on your side. We've talked about the rest of my guys I had. We talked about Njoku. Uh, we talked about uh, Vance McDonald, and we talked about Ebron. That was 10, 9, and 8 on my side. Talked about Ebron at number 10. And the next two for you, and then we'll take a quick break. At number 9, you have Jared Cook. I have him at number 7. Why don't you take this one? Sure. And, you know, I've seen a lot of fantasy analysts have him as high as like five or four. Totally. And I think they're banking on the similar or similar year that he had last Jimmy year. Graham. With Drew <laughs> yeah. Like the, the old Jimmy Graham upside. Right. Um, listen, Jared Cook, Sky, he's he's notorious for one thing and one thing only in fantasy. Do you, can you name what that is? Uh, I'm going to say boom or bust. There we go. Jared Cook is the epitome of a boom bust option at the tight end position. Uh, so, th- I mean, number one, that being said, I'm not willing to invest a seventh round pick in that type of tight end where, you know, he could win me weeks, but he could also lose me weeks. I, I want more stability at the position. Um, I might as well just stream tight ends, right? Because that's kind of what boom bust is where, you know, you can stream and pick up a really good flyer or you can kind of bust that week. Um, but if you look at his, his career, right, he's 31 now. He had his best season last year with almost 900 yards. The second highest in his career came back in 2011 when he was 24 years old with 759 yards. And really on this offense last year, what other options were there at receiver? I mean, even the even their receivers that they did have in in uh, Oakland, their their drop rate was the seventh highest in the league. The the receivers there dropped their passes at six percent pace, um, and then the average wide receiver yards after catch on this team was actually five point five yards, which was tied for eighth worst, uh, and that's t- actually tied with the Jets and the and the and the Cowboys with Dak Prescott and Sam Darnold over there. But I, I kind of wanted to break down Derek Carr and you know why Jared Cook was able to uh, be so productive in this Gruden offense. If you look at Derek Carr, he's he's a really bad decision maker. I think we all know that. He's he's a he's a horrible decision maker. I, I went back and I watched some film on him last year, man. And Sky, I can tell you, like, there's a wide open guy on the left side of the field, and and Derek Carr is not even looking off the defender. He's staring his receiver down, and he throws into like triple coverage. Um, I think Rudin knew knows that, and he wanted to put a stop to that. And I think that's why we saw last year Derek Carr saw his lowest percentage of snaps in shotgun over his career. Derek Carr last year saw 75.7% of his snaps in shotgun, whereas his career average is 83% of his snaps in shotgun. So Gruden really put an emphasis on keeping Carr in the pocket to limit those uh, poor decision-making or those poor throws. Now, if you look at Sean Payton, right, if your name isn't Jimmy Graham uh, or Ben Watson for that one year in uh, 20, uh, in 2015, I mean, no other tight end has, has had more than 67 targets mm-hmm. outside of Jeremy Shockey back in 2009 when they won the Super Bowl. Um, so I, I don't think that, you know, th- there's more weapons here than there were last year in Oakland. I mean, they're very limited, of course, in their receiver options. I mean, they do have Michael Thomas, of course, Ted Ginn here, Traquan Smith, second year, Cam Meredith, they have Keith, Keith Kirkwood, but then you have to, you have to look at the other options that they do have in tight end, which is Josh Hill, Dan Arnold, who I believe is a converted wide receiver as well. And Camaro, we know, is going to get 100 targets at the very minimum this year. And you have other options to throw to as well, closer to the line of scrimmage. I think Lat Murray, um, yeah, sure, he's a bruiser, but I think he could definitely catch a couple passes out of the backfield. And then a guy that they picked up uh, undrafted, uh, Devin Azigbo, who's, who's, uh, who profiles for me as more of like a Mark Ingram fill-in. Uh, I think he could be pretty effective in the, in the passing game as well, uh, where I think, you know, Jared Cook doesn't have the same opportunity here in, uh, on this on this uh, Sean Payton-led offense that he did last year, uh, where there was really nobody else to throw to. 
Yeah, I can agree with I can agree with all your points. I'm a little more excited just because I think we've seen that when Drew Brees has a, an uber athletic tight end that they do get to work. I don't think Kobe Fleener was that guy, although I think fantasy people wanted him to be. For Kobe Fleener, man, he's, um, he's he was yeah. one of those guys I, I wanted to break out so bad. Totally, and it just didn't happen for a number of reasons. But I just don't think he was on the same tier athletically. Now, I don't think at 31 that Jared Cook is is Kobe Fleener athletic in his prime or anything. But football savvy and just the ability to make a play, I think he'll be all right. I do understand they didn't have many other weapons uh, in Oakland, but he did finish fifth in PPR fantasy points, fantasy points for game targets, receptions, and yards after catch. He was fourth in receiving yards, air yards, and red zone uh, receptions and touchdowns. Yeah. So Jared Cook can get it done. We know that the the Saints are throwing it less and less, I think, as Breeze gets older. But as we've seen in New England, they run the shit out of the ball. But when Brady needs to throw the ball, he's just fine. And and Drew Breeze is the same thing. They run the ball all game. If Breeze needs to throw it on the last couple of drives of the, of the game, he's just fine. He can pepper whoever he wants. So, of course, Michael Thomas will get his. But I, I just – I think this is kind of my uh, middle tier, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, decent floor just because of the offense, but a higher upside with uh, Jared Cook. And Jared Cook has been, um, you know, I think an interesting phenomenon with his athletic ability and his up and down, you know, paces with fantasy has been extremely frustrating. And I think that that continues. But again, if you miss out on, I've got him as my number seven. So in my opinion, if you miss out on the the top three, whoever those happen to be, and then the next three, um, who have a chance to be in the top three, then I think Jared Cook personally is is the best option to be that guy to, to potentially bolster down your lineup every week, but also give you potentially weak winning upside. Right. And I mean, speaking to that really quick, I do want to add in something uh, where it goes, it, it ties actually back into the point that I made at the beginning of the show uh, about my argument to stream tight ends, right? Because if you look over the last 10 years, Sky, um, the tight end six and the tight end 12, they have an average differential in points of only 26.6 points. So if you're expecting a guy to finish between that six to 12 range, um, you're really, you know, drafting a guy in the seventh or eighth or ninth round who's going to have a difference of about 1.66 fantasy points from tight end six to tight end 12 per game, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think that's enough. Uh, added value for me to draft a guy in that range if I miss on like the the, the guys that I've projected outside the top five uh, where I don't think I want to invest in the tight end of course with uh with Jared Cook you know we, we had mentioned at the beginning he is pretty boom bust as well um, but I do think his signing signals a little bit something about Drew Brees where we see a couple of these options like Golden Tate for example going to the Giants uh, with an older quarterback Golden Tate's the best yards after catch receiver in the league um, and then you look at Jared Cook, who's one of the best yards after the catch tight ends when he when he you mm-hmm. know when he pops, where I think that signifies you know Drew Brees is is kind of downsloping here. And I I mean I'm calling it right now as much as I love Drew Brees and he's been one of the most dominant not only in fantasy football but one of the most dominant quarterbacks in football itself. Um, I, I think he hangs it up after this year because I, I do think he is declining. We saw that down the stretch last year. I do think this is Drew Brees' last year. Um, you know, being screwed out of a Super Bowl appearance for the last two years. I think God, just gets get him well. one then. Let him. <laughs> he, Drew Brees is the type of dude. Sorry to cut you off, but I, I'm a super Drew Brees fan. Like I yeah. have been his whole career. He's just he's just one of the guys in the league that a I want to have a beer with. B I want to like I just want to hang out with. 
and I just root for every single week. And he just happens to be one of the best of all time, like truly. I know Drew the Brees GOAT is a man. around a lot, but Drew Brees is incredible. But I just, he's one of those guys that he just deserves the ride out on the sunset. You know what yeah. I'm saying? He yeah. just he he needs he needs to have that. And obviously, the last two years we won't go into all that uh, hoopla. Um, but he just he's been that close, and I, I think he he really just. He could potentially get there again and um, get over the top, but I, I'm I'm really just rooting for the guy. He's one of my favorite players in the entire NFL. Listen, I'm sorry for the Saints. Sorry to cut you off. I had to go on not my at all. Not at all. <laughs> I love the Saints, man. Like I, I mean, me too. I'm a Patriots fan myself, right? And uh -huh. I was kind of scared that if the Saints did make it to the Super Bowl last year, where they definitely had a real shot to win. They were uh, a better team, in my opinion. Definitely better, were. Definitely a better team. I mean, their defense, you know, kind of took a step back. Uh, yes, uh, not yesterday, uh, last year, I want to say, from their 2017 season. And I think it takes a step forward this year again uh, when Marshawn Lattimore does find his uh, his rookie performance again. Um, but Drew Brees, I think a lot of it's going to be put off of his shoulders this year where I do think they run the ball a little bit more. And Jared Cook does provide that upside because he is one of the best yards after catch tight ends in the league. And I think, you know, there's a potential that he gets the ball pretty often. I totally agree. Why don't you break down Jimmy Graham really quick, who I do not have ranked. Sure. Break down Jimmy Graham, and then we'll get into a quick break, and then we'll get into our top seven tight ends. Absolutely. So Jimmy Graham is a guy who's flying super under the radar here. And, you know, I'll touch on him lightly, and the reason why I have him ranked a tight end eight right now. Uh, I know your listeners are probably like, what the fuck, Jimmy Graham? Like, where are you coming from? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Jimmy Graham's done. And, listen, I agree with you. Jimmy Graham is pretty old, and he's pretty done. But he's tied to my number one ranked quarterback. Hmm. He's tied to the quarterback who's finished number one or number two over the past like X amount of years um, outside of the last two years where he's dealt with injuries, obviously with a collarbone in 2017 from a via Anthony Barr. And then last year via Khalil Mack, where he uh, I forgot exactly the exact injury, but I think it was his fibula yeah. uh, where he kind of split it. And the fact that he even played through that and put up 25 touchdowns and finished as a QB five or a QB four, I think it was it, that to me is impressive. So Jimmy Graham, I think number one provides a lot of touchdown upside because his quarterback's going to throw a lot of touchdowns um, in my book. But in 2018, if you look at Jimmy Graham, right, he ran 535 routes, which was third amongst all tight ends. He also ranked third amongst all tight ends in terms of routes from, from the slot. He had 429 of them and he had 36 slot receptions, which was fourth amongst tight ends. The thing is, guys, like Jimmy Graham is not a good slot guy. He can't separate anymore. He he's not a good route runner anymore. I think he's one of those guys where you need to, you know, he he needs to be lined up in line. He needs to, you know, get a chip on a linebacker, get a chip on a defensive end, and then just split out. And if you look at the emphasis that Lafleur, if you look at the trend that's happening, right? Lafleur said that Aaron Rodgers is not going to have as much liberty to call or audible at the line of scrimmage. Um, Lafleur wants to get the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands quickly. And what better way to do that is, is there than you know utilizing an H back? Mm -hmm. You get Jimmy Graham in that H back role, and the priority, like I said, is going to be to get the ball out pretty quick. And the first or second read plays, and Aaron Rodgers could use Jimmy Graham as a safety blanket um, on those plays, not just Devonte Adams. So I really do think that Lafleur gets Jimmy Graham to line up more in line, gets him more in pass pro run blocking. But I also think it presents. An, an opportunity to make him a quick read, a dump off for Rodgers. And again, he's still a mismatch weapon in the end zone. Um, so I, I want a piece of this offense. Jimmy Graham, if you if you look at a couple of this other signings that they've made, they've signed a couple of blocking tight ends. They try to sign Michael Roberts, someone who the Patriots try to sign but failed. Um, 
but Michael Roberts failed his physical, so they couldn't sign him. But they've made a couple moves at the position, and I think that's to shore up uh, the run blocking in the pass pro as well, uh, where they will run two tight end sets, and they will run, um, I guess, uh, one receiver sets pretty often as well, where they do have two tight ends on the field. So I think Jimmy Graham presents a pretty good upside here, uh, even at his old age, and he's going in the 13th round, back to the 13th round. Give me that all day. I like it. And I like the upside. I like we had very similar narratives coming into last year. Uh, Jimmy Graham wasn't terrible, but as you mentioned, Aaron Rodgers was hurt from opening night. He actually had his uh, his Michael Jordan, you know, get hurt in the first half, come <laughs> back, win the game, yada, yada. I mean, it was a pretty trying year for the Packers in general. They had all the infighting bullshit with Mike McCarthy yep. and all this stuff. Um, so I don't think Jimmy Graham got a, a fair shot. And I do agree with you that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, I'm a little bit more worried about it and it's less about the situation it's more about just the player um i think he's lost a handful of steps and it's kind of hard for me to say that i guess because i mean delaney walker is a similar player at this point um but um i guess the same the same mentions i'm making for delaney walker's upside is is what you're making for jimmy graham but jimmy graham has a hall of fame quarterback and Delaney Walker, as much as I've professed my love for Marcus Mariota time and time again on this podcast, <laughs> he probably won't even be in the league in the next couple of years, unfortunately. Um, so he might th- be, a, he might be a backup, you know, I, I don't want to, yeah. I'll give him the shadow of the doubt, but I just don't think I that Titans so. offense is going to, yeah, no, I don't think yeah. that Titans offense is going to turn around too much. I don't either. And the one thing that Jimmy Graham still does have, even in his later age, um, is his size exactly. and he's, he's an absolute absolute animal one of the best red zone threats at the tight end position forever and it feels like you know decades ago at this point but realistically not too long ago he he was you know gronk before gronk and then the other gronk for so long uh, with with the saints so dominant and then even with the seahawks yeah Um, so i don't hate jimmy graham he's not in my top 15 i just like other guys better but uh kind of like trey burton he's probably in my 16 17 18 range just kind of out of that um, upper echelon I just I don't outside of touchdowns which is again is carries tight end which is great but outside of touchdowns I just don't see the upside with receptions and yards because Rodgers targets his receivers far more um, Aaron Jones can catch the ball Jamal Williams can catch the ball I think that they have so many young mouths to feed and Aaron Rodgers I think is going to come out after missing the playoffs the last two years and getting hurt those two years I think he's going to come out fucking angry this year. And he's going to be pissed. <laughs> so I throw for 500 yards a game, and I don't know how much pissed. of that Jimmy Graham's going to do. Yo. So yeah. I agree with you. Um, I love Aaron Rodgers, and and don't hate the Jimmy Graham uh, rank. I think eight is too high for me just because I don't have him ranked, yeah. period. But I definitely, definitely respect your claims. That'll do it for this episode. Tune back next episode for part two of our tight end rankings, one through seven. Special thanks to Summy once again for hopping on to break down our tight end rankings and continuing our weekly focuses. Please follow Summy and the Draft Room Podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Draft Room Pod. You can find them on Facebook and YouTube at the Draft Room Podcast and also listen to the Draft Room Podcast itself wherever podcasts can be heard. Be sure to email us your fantasy questions heading into 2019 at tckpod at gmail.com. Shoot us a DM on Instagram at fantasyfootball underscore tckpod. You can also find us on Twitter at tck underscore pod and Facebook at the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. If you've gotten any value from this podcast at all, please leave a rate and review on the podcast and give us a like and a follow on our social medias. It really does mean the world to us. Make the most of the rest of your day and we'll catch you next time on the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. For Summy, I'm Sky, and we are out of here.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.